Andrew, are you awake? Uh, barely, but I'm getting there. Tell us why you're so sleepy. Because of the phone that's in my hand, the Galaxy Note 9 in beautiful uh, blue with this nice yellow S Pen. Ooh, mm. it's delicious. Sa- that that does sound like a, like a bowl of breakfast. It also has been pointed out to me that it's the effectively the Best Buy edition, considering the color palettes. <laughs> that's which true. Which just then, makes makes me like it a little less now. Yeah, even after the redesign, the the Best Buy redesign. Well, come on, it's still the, it's still their their color. That snarky laugh that you hear, that's Jerry Hildenbrand. How are you, man? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday. Andrew's going to go on a camping trip. Very jealous. Where are you going, buddy? We are going to uh, a little place north of Wenatchee, Washington, in eastern eastern Washington. We're Get away from this. everywhere. <laughs> yes, there are lots of rattlesnakes and lots of heat. Mm. I Two used to things spend a that, lot of time. Uh, oh, 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 sorry. You should be. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna make this quick. We're gonna enjoy uh, hearing about your thoughts on the Galaxy Note Nine, Andrew, and we're also gonna dig in to the other announcements from Unpacked Fall Edition, twenty eighteen. There were many that we didn't expect. Yeah, a couple a couple big announcements. One we thought the Galaxy Watch that had been leaked for a long time, and you know that wasn't very surprising. But the Galaxy Home. The speaker, the Bixby speaker that had been long rumored, but I don't know. This looks utterly uh, underwhelming. Looks wow. like a did chair. You just, did you just do that, Daniel? Uh, I sure did. I went there. So let's get started. We're going to talk Galaxy Note 9. Andrew, uh, big show as usual. Barclay Center, one of the biggest venues Samsung's ever used Yeah, for a, a launch like this. A lot of people... As a, as an insider, saying it's time to end these kinds of very elaborate, loud, expensive press conferences yes. for phones that are kind of we're not going to say boring because no phone is boring. They're still magical pocket computers, but there wasn't a lot to the Note Nine. Right? This is a very iterative announcement. There there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about that. I mean, this was obviously tech media people talking back and forth on Twitter. I don't know how much you can really extrapolate from that, but it was it was kind of bubbling up from the fact that we were all uh you know either watching at home or we were inside Barclays Center watching uh you know them get set up and get ready uh because we were in there like an hour and a half early and we're sitting up uh above kind of the rest of the lower bowl of the of the arena watching it fill up and it, you're right it is a huge venue but about, I would say, at least half, probably up to two-thirds of the audience is um, press uh, analysts and the partners. So if you're, you know, you work for Verizon and, you know, Verizon Communications or something like that or Verizon Marketing and you launch the Galaxy Note 9 on Verizon, you're going to be there for the for the launch event. And then, of course, all of the Samsung people and all that, these events are no longer for i mean everybody's kind of aware of what's going on there's very little um surprise or intrigue about the whole show of it you know the whole you know all the lights and sounds and all the crazy presentations and things like that now samsung is one of the best at putting these things on because they're able to go all in and get a huge venue like this and they do these massive screens where the present uh presentation's happening on top of a screen on the floor and then there's another one overhead and you know all this kind of crazy stuff but it's it it does get a little tiring at, after after years and years of this and especially for products that are I wouldn't say predictable, but just kind of expected at this point. Nobody is surprised that Samsung puts out a, an amazing phone with everything that everybody could have asked for at this point. So there isn't as much intrigue from that angle. I don't know. How did it look on, on the stream for you guys? Uh, boring. Honestly, it was, it was like Samsung puts on a great show but they monologue to death and it is yeah. so rote and so monotonous and oh my god like they just don't know how to present a product with excitement 
right? DJ Ko standing in front of an audience for 15 minutes in broken English. I, I'm sorry, like you, you don't have to send your CEO onto the stage for I think a 15 minute introduction. I'm, I'm sure he likes it. And that's why he does it because they insist the but CEO. <laughs> you want to broadcast this to millions of people who you want, you know, who, who you'd like to tune in after the monologue. You want them to stay for the actual announcement of the products. To me, you're just putting people to sleep right from the beginning. But I, I, I don't want to say that you shouldn't send the CEO. I don't, I don't think his position was as much a, a factor as his personality. And I hate to say that. I, I don't like to judge any other person. But he's very dry. And maybe it's because English is in his first language. Uh, compare that to a Balmer or a Steve Jobs introducing you know, a product. And it was a, you know, 180 degrees opposite. Mm-hmm. And it, we thought there was no excitement. And I think a big part of that is the language barrier. Well, it, 100%. I, I the bigger but, thing is that he's normally the one. It, he's been out there for multiple of these right. launch events in a row. He is typically the one that comes out, says, thank you for coming. Now we have all the people that worked very, very closely on the products to come talk about them. And then he comes out at the end. He gets a total of 10 minutes maybe between the start yeah. and the end. This one felt weird, like Daniel said, because it is, he came out and was like, we have this awesome phone coming out. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to talk for 10 minutes straight about completely like non sequitur kind of things where we're going to talk about open platforms and connecting the world. And we care about you. And it was this, this weird thing that didn't really have any connection to what we thought we were there for. And it, that's what felt really odd. And I, and I want to I want to be very clear about this. I don't think even when Tim Cook does this on the Apple side of things when the beginning of their presentations are all about how they're cutting carbon yeah. emissions and how they're, you know, going trying to put the, you know, iPad in in schools and the plate and the App Store is making billions of dollars. Those things I don't think are valuable either. And those are basically just press releases read aloud. And that has no place at these presentations either. Um, I, I do s- think that. Sorry, go ahead, Jerry. I, I can see why they do it, though. That they, they, this is an important message that they want to make sure everybody hears. You know, maybe it's sincere, maybe it's not, but they want to make sure everybody hears it. So, what better time to do it than when all eyes are focused for a big product announcement? But they're so all eyes are focused, and the press is basically typing furiously to get their hands-ons and their live blogs, you know, ready. And everybody else, they're not there to listen to people talk about carbon emissions. I I agree. They're there to, you know, they're they're shareholders maybe. But that's something that you bring up at a quarterly earnings, in a quarterly earnings uh, call, not a press conference that's announcing the flagship phone of, you know, the fall. I don't know. If you want your, just your customers, not not your shareholders or board members or anybody else if you just want your customers to hear something that's probably the best place to say it even if it bores the hell out of them i don't i mean look i i think if you want your customers to hear it put it on a placard at a verizon store right that's (laughs) that's the place that people are going to see see it the most the the average note customer the average s9 customer is not watching this keynote right, right? but it's yeah us. i it's think that that's analysts. important you have to look at this is for the 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 super fans especially a note an announcement yes it's going to sell tens of millions and all that but like you said there tens of millions of people are not like the people that are buying it are far more diverse than the people that are watching something like this on the stream or you know even going all the way as to go there and the messaging didn't really align with that. And all of those people have been around for so long at this point that all of the show and the crazy lighting and all that kind of stuff doesn't really appeal to that, that market anymore. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. Imagine if every complaint we ever heard about the curved screen on the galaxy S was instead Samsung's business wants to help you. That's a lot of people. And and we're just going to have to agree to disagree here. Agreed. I, I agree that I agree to disagree, but I also <laughs> agree that you're wrong. So uh, <laughs> love you, Jerry. 
Let's move on, talk about the phone. The Note 9, this was a known quantity. It had leaked like crazy as well. But Andrew, there were a bunch of cool things that you discovered while you were demoing the phone that I think help it stand out from the Galaxy S9 Plus and many other phones uh, in the market today. And also, you know, from what you told me, the the blue and yellow color scheme, I think it's a bit more striking in person than it yeah. was on um, on on the in the leaked photos. Yeah, this wasn't a it, so there was that initial leaked photo that showed that it was like the this two tone thing where the whole phone was blue and then the accents were yellow, kind of how they did with was it the Note Seven that had the two tone? It had the pink and blue or coral and blue combination. Anyway, this isn't like that, but they did redo the whole color palette. Of course, there's a black one, uh, but not in the U.S. So that kind of shows you that they see color as a differentiator. And the only thing that's weird to me about the whole color situation and even the design in general, because let's be honest, the, the colors are the only thing that's interesting about this design compared to every other phone the Samsung's made, is they only did the contrasting S Pen on the blue one. And that's the one that they're showing in all of the promotions. That's like this little gold button and, you know, the yellow S Pen is the only thing uh, that's different about that one. But the black, copper, and lavender ones all have matching S Pens. Don't you guys think that's weird? Um it's it's very <laughs> Samsung. Like it, it makes a lot of sense, right? They're they're using the color scheme as a means of marketing, as much as it is just to have a cool color scheme, right? The striking. I mean, the photos you took were were fantastic, but the you know you put some decent lighting on these phones. This is Samsung's equivalent of that shifting twilight. Huawei P20 Pro, right? The the yeah. translucent HTC U12, right? These are these are things that make a note a note. And what they're doing is they're just leveraging their existing strengths. Um, but Samsung as a company is still much more conservative. You're not going to see Samsung putting a multi-hue twilight, you know, layer uh on their thousand dollar Galaxy Note, because that's just not what the company does. Instead, it stays kind of in the middle. And I think this is their way of pushing the boundaries of color a little bit without being, without standing out too much. It still does have kind of this business-like efficiency to it in that, especially on the Note, because it's lost a lot of its curves because with the screen being a little larger at 6.4 inches now, it it just pushes those edges just a little bit more, has really tight corners. It's very symmetrical, all the lines are, you know, dead straight except for the parts that curve over into the screen and over into the back. They added this little um, kind of bevel, this chamfer along the metal edges that kind of gives it a little bit more of a standout thing. But that's really, you know, all there is there. So you're right. The only thing that they could really differentiate is this pop of color in the S Pen and these really deep reflective colors. If you know, if you don't get the the black one, which is you know, kind of just disappears, which is kind of the point. So let's talk about the S Pen, because I think it's, from a technology perspective, the most interesting advancement in this year's Note. It's got a Bluetooth LE radio in there, and it's got a uh, it's got a sort of a battery in there. Um, tell us a little bit about it. So Jerry will be able to give you a quick spiel on what exactly a super capacitor is, but it's it's you can just think of it as a battery the difference is that it doesn't charge up and discharge like your phone's battery when you think about an s pen it's tiny this s pen is indistinguishably different size from the note eights it's not uh it's not this big huge thing like an apple pencil or something like that that's filled with a lithium-ion battery so it only gets 30 minutes of battery life but when you think about all of the things that it does you're not really going to keep this thing out for 30 minutes expecting it to uh, do all of these different things. It's more of a, you're taking it out, you can use it for the specific function, and then you're going to put it back in there and it charges in 40 seconds, even if it had died all the way. So if you had only taken it out for a couple of minutes, you put it back in, it'll charge in a couple of seconds, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and when it dies, it still works as an S Pen. So 
thankfully, Samsung didn't use this opportunity to like change the way that the S Pen works fundamentally, uh, because I still think that that's a strength and it's really high sensitivity and it has the you know, all of the features that it has with writing on the screen are unchanged. So it doesn't need the battery for that. Right. So all of these features I think are extremely, extremely important. And I can't believe that it took them this long to get to this point where they are using the S pen for things that aren't input with the screen. And that was always a limiting factor of the appeal of the S pen is that if you weren't somebody that was visual in that way, or somebody that can, uh, can draw, you know, gets an enjoyment from drawing or likes the feeling, you know, mentally of writing versus typing or using voice dictation or anything like that, then there was no appeal to the S Pen for you. And now they have this option to be able to use the button on it to control things in the software. And that just immediately makes it appealing to more people sure it's not gonna you know convert everybody that would have bought a galaxy s9 or you know whatever a p20 pro into wanting the note 9 but this doesn't hurt (laughs) at all it still does all of the same things that note fans like and now it has this little bonus feature of you can put your phone in a tripod or prop it up somewhere for a time lapse and you can use the S Pen to capture or you can use it to scroll through slideshows or uh, you, you plug your phone into the TV to show you know photos from your vacation or something and you can click through the gallery with it. It's this simple little thing that, yeah, it's just a Bluetooth remote. It's not that big of a deal uh, from like a PC perspective, but this is something that, that the S Pen never branched out to. Yeah, it's it's interesting that it took this long, but I think it was the natural next step. And the SDK is going to be interesting when they release it later this year because Samsung of all the the partners, the Google partners has the best track record of getting developers to build experiences that aren't baked into an- Android proper, right? Remember with mm-hmm. the mic with the um the first generation fingerprint sensors with the with the s5 right when it's not like it got enormous adoption but some apps added that fingerprint sdk right the multi-window as well uh with support long before it was added into into android so i would love to see developers pick this up and actually find innovative ways to use it i do expect though that for the most part the best experiences are going to be with samsung's own apps and and I'm happy to see that Samsung did go a bit above and beyond what I would have expected in terms of having a whole dashboard of the way, you know, it, uh, controlling the way that the S Pen interacts with the system. And you can select different functions. There are between two and four uh, functions available for about a half dozen apps for each of single press and double press. So you can really configure what you want it to do. Uh, so if you want the camera to um, switch between the front and back camera and capture, you can select set that up or if you want it to have a single press for photo double press for video or you know you can mix those around and uh, you can do the same for all the media and all that kind of stuff if you want to have it be forward and back or whatever zoom in or you know whatever they want to set up Uh, samsung didn't just make it uh, a one-off demo they actually gave you half a dozen apps uh, just from the start and you could easily see samsung leading the way there and adding more and more apps with uh, future updates all right let's talk battery this is a four thousand milliamp hour battery in a uh in, in a casing that is only slightly thicker than the than the note 8 you know we knew why no, the note 8 had a smallish battery right it was the it came from the note 7's battery disaster samsung wanted to be as conservative as possible um now we're a couple years out from that and samsung has an 8 point battery check with every single um cell that they build right there's mm-hmm. no reason to think the a larger battery is going to be dangerous for note nine users nobody even brought that up yesterday which i find impressive given just the the sheer scale of the note seven disaster um so we're looking at you know all day battery plus what else is samsung saying about it 
they basically, it was kind of a weird situation for me because they did recognize the fact that the note owners expect more from their phone. They, they want, they've always enjoyed the bigger screen and, you know, the S pen to a lesser extent, but they, across the board, every single one wants the bigger screen. And that means that they use their phone more. They have the statistics, the user data that shows that the note owner of of that year's release uses their phone dramatically more every single day than the Galaxy S owner from that that release. And that's not surprising to any of us. But it is surprising to me that they clearly have known this for a long time. And yet they've taken the compromise of putting a smaller battery in each of the notes. So uh, I was glad that they finally bumped it up and they didn't just bump it up a little bit. This is just shy of 15% more than the GS9 Plus, and it's 21% more than the Note 8. And that's kind of making up for lost time because they really should have been increasing it at a steady rate in a in a safe manner but of course they had a little bit of this setback and i I'm, i mean it's just it's a huge phone and huawei has been doing 4000 ish milliamp hour batteries in phones this size for a long time so from that perspective it was kind of like all of the phone nerds that were aware of that were kind of boiling over to the point where they weren't going to accept anything less so i see that the opposite way we should have not liked Huawei putting old, you know, old technology. I'm going to say old as in two years ago. Technology that pushing it to those limits after we saw what could happen. Samsung needed a little bit more time to, you know, I, I don't want to say perfect, but that's a good word. The, the new way they're making batteries. So, Jerry, I, you know, part of um, Mr. Mobile's video um, which you should all watch if you haven't. Um, he said that Samsung told him they couldn't put a larger battery in, uh, so that with the Note 8, they had to put the fingerprint sensor to the to the next to the um, camera module. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have had to keep the battery even smaller. So they found a compromise that would allow them to put in a 3,300 milliamp hour battery. Now the fingerprint sensor is below the the camera module, and yet there's a 21% larger battery. How did they do it? Well, you can make a battery with more capacity that's the same size or smaller. It depends on the chemistry and and how you you know the the, the parts that you use. It's not size that is the final determination of capacity. But uh, and if you've never seen the inside of a modern cell phone, batteries aren't rectangular anymore. They fit in all the little nooks and crannies. They're shaped like, you know, like the state of Florida. Sometimes they have little fingers that go up. They use all the available space that they can. And, uh, you know, I, I fully agree with Samsung's, you know, we had to put this part here we didn't have room to enlarge the space. Thankfully, they didn't push the limits and try to get more capacity out of the smaller battery. Maybe this year they can. And they, they did make the phone larger. It, yeah. it got just a little bit thicker, which could have, you know, just bumped them it over to the point big, where they yeah, could big difference. They could stack they could stack two components yep. that they couldn't stack before and that, you know, that bought them another millimeter here, millimeter there. And well, the, the phone is also almost two millimeters wider. And if you think, you know, thicker is important. If you make a phone a millimeter thicker, that's a millimeter over its entire space. That's a lot of room for a bigger battery or a part here and a part there. So I, I think it's a, a mix of the two. The The larger size uh, lets them put the components that they want in the phone, fingerprint sensor, S Pen. Now they have a charging, inductive charger for the S Pen. That all needs to fit somewhere. By making the phone just a tiny bit larger, it gives them more room to place things where they want and still room to put the biggest battery they can safely put in it. So there's another consideration here, is that Samsung has increased the screen size by 0.1 inches, but the actual phone is shorter by 0.6 millimeters. 
which yeah. means that this is a company that is iterating as much as possible in in this sort of very very subtle minor way they are taking an existing design and they are eking as much engineering from it as humanly possible and yet these are the kinds of things that nobody's really going to notice right you talk about how the note 9 looks almost identical to the note 8 and yet yeah. they are trying to eliminate those top and bottom bezels as much as possible right they're putting that fingerprint sensor below the cameras to get uh, a bit more ergonomic uh, use out of the phone. And I mean, all, all this to say, this is a productivity phone meant for power users. And yet they are trying their best to appeal to the, to the design nerds as well. Right. And my, uh, Michael, Mr. Mr. Mobile, as mentioned before, had a really good point on this. We were talking yesterday about it, that uh, we should not be upset by the phone getting a little shorter and a little wider after Samsung kicked off this idea of going really tall and no bending the screen on the sides to go really narrow. Because everything that we hear from fans of the Note is that these are not one-handed devices in the first place because you have your other hand on the S Pen or, you know, that's kind of the idea. So making it two millimeters wider or it's 1.8 millimeters is not a big deal because you weren't planning on using the thing in one hand anyway. And making it a little shorter, yes, does make it a little easier to handle in one hand when when you do need to. But it's just... I don't understand why Samsung couldn't, and this is kind of just an overall idea. I don't understand why Samsung couldn't have just gone a little further. If, if they showed the propensity to actually be willing to go wider and thicker and a little bit heavier, they should have maybe tried to go a little bit further. I mean, this is 0.1 inches larger. I don't know. You, I, I think Daniel hit it where they want to appeal to the consumers too. Samsung could have made the thing an inch wider and put a button on the front and made it two inches taller. Note fans would have loved it. But Samsung wants to sell more notes this year than they did any other year before. So they want people who aren't Note fans to like the phone too. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the software. So this is the same Samsung experience as before, but... Mm -hmm. This is a company that's really doubling down on doing everything on your phone locally. I mean, this thing has 128 gigabytes of of internal storage. Um, It's got uh, six to eight gigs of RAM. It's got a 512 gigabyte option for people, right? This is something like the massive 6.4 inch screen. This is a computer, right? People are going to use this as a laptop replacement in many situations. Um, Samsung has put DeX on here finally as a, uh, you know, you can access DeX without buying a separate dock, right? Do you think people are going to be using this as more of a tablet? It is becoming as big as a tablet, Um do you think people are going to use their computers less? Like how, how do you think this fits in with people's lifestyles? I don't think that it dramatically changes the, the use case. It just makes the use case that people are already using these larger, especially the note phones, uh, easier to accomplish. I don't think that the, the, the deck situation is going to immediately turn into some new thing. Uh, yes, the problem with it before was that you needed this dedicated hardware and a, a keyboard and mouse, especially even if you, you know, it, it worked with a USB-C hub that like removing that barrier makes people use decks. Maybe it's just a couple percent more. It doesn't completely change the whole idea or the paradigm of how this thing works. And the, the, all of these improvements, I think just, they improve the, smartphone experience as we know it today and give you more of a uh i guess more runway more room to do more things for of course with the battery for a longer period of time without slowing down i don't think that this is a transformative device that takes us to the next level of replacing you know although replacing a tablet, people don't really use tablets all that much anyway, because these phones are so huge, but replacing a computer or anything like that, 
it just it's those things are a feat you know extra features that are a little more on the fringes i i don't know not necessarily the core experience i think this is the first step to what daniel was describing uh they they took the the nerd factor as well as the the barrier away from decks now you hold your phone in your hand and you use your phone to control what you see on a display you no longer put it in a dock and use a mouse and keyboard or try to use the display while it's sitting in a dock. That's a big, that's a, that's a big difference. I mean, the phone yeah. itself hasn't changed much, but Dex is now something completely different than it was before. I was, you know, I was just there when it, when Dex, um, quote unquote revolutionized <laughs> the smartphone, laptop, desktop paradigm, uh, with the Galaxy S8. And it didn't. Right. Nobody, it, nobody uses it. The, here's the problem. It, it works. It really does work. This new experience is not the same Dex as before. Right. Like you think about the, the nice removal of all of the extras. Like you don't have to have a keyboard and a mouse in this dock and thing. But so now you've just launched into a desktop experience and now you're using your phone as the controller for it. It's not like you're not launching into Mm -hmm. the, the, the proper Dex experience because a desktop computer has a mouse and a keyboard. A desktop computer does not have a 6.4 inch display that is both a touchpad and a virtual keyboard. Uh, it, it's not, it's not that same experience. It's a different sort of thing. I even feel like using Dex directly on your phone is a separate experience from what they talked about Dex being before. I, and now I agree. we kind of had, we kind of have a gray area as well because now this Dex experience launches on the Galaxy Tab S4 when it's docked too. Um, they're kind of using this as a, a catch-all big screen mm-hmm. experience. But we also have to talk about the last thing, uh, which is price. This is a $999 phone. That's a, and this 99 is, cents. This is a $1,000 phone. This is a computer. This is a laptop. This is more expensive by $350 than the, the Tab S4. This is basically somebody choosing between, I mean, maybe you're not buying it at $4,000 because of the carrier system, you're buying it uh, through financing, but it's still not a cheap device. It's still a choice you have to make. Maybe you'll have to buy a laptop or a brand new Note 9. Um, I use my phone for work as much as possible because I'm not always in front of a computer. And increasingly bigger screens allow me to have Slack and Trello open at the same time. Shiver, because I hate both of those apps. Mm. But you know, these are things that I find myself doing, not because I want to, but because by necessity, if I'm not in front of my 13 inch laptop, I have to do them. And, you know, we're looking at this convergence happening right now where the Surface Go's coming out, which offers a 10 inch screen, a pretty powerful processor, a great keyboard, but it's the size of a large Android tablet or even a medium sized Android tablet, but it is basically a full computer. And on the other side, we have the Galaxy Tab S4, which is a standard-sized Android tablet that is being marketed as a laptop replacement. I, you know what, I can't get past that. A Surface Go is three fifty, and a Surface Pro is only like seven hundred bucks. That's a Surface Go starts at three ninety nine, but you don't want to buy that model. It's the five forty nine model that's good. There's still a lot less than a Note. Sure, it is. It's a ton less than the Note, and if you wanted to, it'll run full Windows ten. Right. So, and the, and the thing about oh, sorry, Jerry. I say Samsung has got to, if they want people to buy the Note and use it as their portable PC, I'll, I'll go that far. They want people to use the Note as a portable PC. They've still got a lot of work to do to make it as useful as even a Surface Go. Yeah, that's the the Daniel made the interesting point, of course, about that we always talk about the the financing aspect of making this phone more affordable. And I just I don't get why that's any different in the consumer's mind right now because you can finance every piece of consumer electronics, right. not just phones. Best Buy and Samsung directly and Apple and e- Amazon and everyone will give you 
12, 18, 24 month financing on a purchase of yep. this of this size, whether you're buying an unlocked phone or you're buying a, a Surface Go or a That's Surface a great Pro point, or a Surface but Book. But it's also like Samsung will make that very obvious to you. And I guess Best Buy will also make that very obvious to you. But yeah. it's not in our minds necessarily when we're buying a laptop versus when we're buying a phone because of the traditional subsidy model that began 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, you know, there is no difference right, right now between buying a thousand dollar note on a 24 month financing plan at Verizon versus buying a thousand dollar Asus tablet or Asus laptop at Best Buy with the same 0% financing. Especially when you're talking about an unlocked Note 9 on Amazon or Samsung.com. Right. I, because then there's no carrier involvement at all there. But I, I get your point that it, it really is the, the mindset thing that it, and now the, the numbers are skewing even further to the point of people will never not have a phone. That's just not an option. So you're kind of starting from this base level of, well, I have to have a phone and I've uh, become accustomed to having a five to six hundred dollar phone. So this phone is, you know, only four or five hundred dollars <laughs> more versus there are a lot of people that don't care about having a laptop. They don't care about having a high quality laptop. They've never set the bar for themselves at having a laptop that is seven, eight, nine hundred dollars. Even though I think it was on the last podcast we were talking about how great of a deal the Pixel Book is at seven hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. You know, even before the Note Nine came out, that was still that's the same price as a base Galaxy S nine. You know, and we talk about these phones that you know as if they're just uh, you know impulse buys. Well, I mean, a, a, a laptop can't replace your phone. So if they can get a phone to replace your laptop, that's a pretty mm-hmm. big deal. And I think we're getting right. closer to the point where the phone is replacing the laptop than the other way around. Um, in many situations, I will prefer to use my phone. It's easier to use my phone. Um, and we're, we're seeing that convergence happen with the always-on PCs powered by the same Qualcomm Snapdragon platforms that are powering our phones. But now they're just running Windows laptops and two-in-ones and I mean, I love this conversation because it it adds so much intrigue to what we do, right? We run, you know, we're we're at Android Central, but Android as a platform is butting up against Windows and 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 Mac OS. Whereas a few years ago, it was just butting up against the iPhone, and that to me is so interesting. Andrew, if you could, because you've used Chromebooks a lot, mm-hmm. if you could, uh, with a, let's say a TV with a Chromecast in the back. If you could take your phone and hit a button and have Chrome OS appear on your TV screen, would that be useful to you? Because that's what Samsung's doing here, their own version. Yeah, it's still. I, I still think that that for most people, I, I mean, I'll answer your question by saying for other, for other people or most people, they don't want that experience because that would still require your kind of typical desktop paradigm interface. Whereas what people I think want is more narrow, less general computing kind of things going on when they hook up to a big screen. In this example of like a TV, they would prefer to have some specific experiences arrive on the TV and still be controlled by the phone, much like Chromecast does, rather than have a browser on the TV. And I'll bet, I I just said this because I'll bet that's what we're going to see from Samsung, give it five years. It's going to be wireless, and it's going to be like a dual operating system kind of thing. All right, so I'm going to give all of you listeners some homework. I want you to email us or tweet us, um, podcast at androidcentral.com, or tweet tweet us Android, at Android Central or at GB Hill, Journey Dan, Andrew Martinick. Do you finance things other than your phone? That's number one. Do you Have you ever financed a tablet or a laptop? Um, and two, do you use your phone like a laptop these days? Are you finding yourself using your laptop less or your tablet less because your phone is becoming more capable? So those are those are our two pieces of homework for you. If you feel like answering, please let us know. Uh, we're going to move on. We're going to take a break first 
to thank our sponsor, Thrifter. And as always, because Thrifter wants you to spend where it matters, we want you to spend where it matters on things that we love. So as always, we go around and we talk about our favorite deals on the Thrifter homepage. That's thrifter.com and at Thrifter Daily on Twitter. Jerry, I know that you've been looking at this uh, <laughs> this Dynacraft 12-volt camo ride-on kids uh, ca- uh, powered car because well, they see me rolling. But in, uh, what, what else you got for us? Uh, I love flashlights. And there's a, a really good one. It's made by Anchor, who I think everybody with a phone knows the name Anchor. They make great stuff. And it's, it's one of those small flashlights, but when you turn it on, it's like a police light. It's insanely bright. It's 28 bucks. It's probably indestructible. And you would be surprised if you had a little small flashlight, how often you would use it. That's so crazy because it's rechargeable and I've never yep. seen a rechargeable flashlight before. Yep. I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I love flashlights. I have a sick obsession with them. And I'm really thinking about buying this one myself just because it's rechargeable. But uh, looking at the the other specs for it, it's, man, it's super bright. You could use it like an emergency device or even as self-defense. Uh, and then you can use it as a flashlight when you need to see stuff. I always carry a little flashlight with me. And I know I'm not the only one. T-I-L. That's uh, really <laughs> interesting. Andrew, what's your pick for the week? Uh, I found something that I think that I'm actually going to pick up because this is uh, just something I deal with is uh, these MacBook plug bug adapters where you can, <laughs> uh, but this is the international one. So it comes with a, uh, a US EU, uh, the tilted one that's like um, China and parts of like, what is it? Australia and New Zealand and the UK one and all of these different plugs that pop out of the top of the MacBook chargers. And, uh, it also, the, it's just a whole nice thing. So instead of using a whole bunch of adapters, you just carry the one that you're going to, going to bring for your laptop. And then of course your laptop has USB ports that can charge onto other things. So this is like the base level thing that you always bring rather than having to bring one of those big multi-port things or buy one in the airport like i had to do on my way to china because i forgot mine 30 bucks down from 45 like 30 bucks is perfect one of those multi-port chargers i'll tell you because i bought one in the airport on my last trip mm-hmm. is almost 30 dollars and it's not buy anything <laughs> at an airport it's like i know the golden rule but you know yeah, this because was, yes i know this you travel more than anybody i know uh, but it was it was either buy uh, buy charger at airport or not have power. So it was I was that guy and I was very shameful of it. But this thing could solve that for twenty nine twenty two. Twenty nine twenty two. Well, my choice. Um, I, I was fi- I, I was not sure which one to pick this week, but in um, in honor of TCL's amazing televisions entering the Canadian market in a few weeks, I'm going to be picking the TCL 2017 uh, LED TV lineup that's on sale on Amazon right now. Um, by the time you listen to this, it will probably still be on sale. And even if they're not on sale, they are incredibly inexpensive. If you don't need 4K and you don't need 55 inches, you can get a 43-inch 1080p Roku-powered LED TV from TCL for $230. Um that is an insanely good deal for a very, very good TV. Roku is always updating its software, and TCL does not hold them back, so you don't have to worry. Roku just launched Roku Channels for free, which is a great way to get awesome content. It's kind of like Crackle, except better. So Roku has a constantly rotating list of awesome content that is ad-powered, ad so if you don't have... Uh, a TV subscription. If you don't have cable, you can always just um, leave it on Roku TV or uh, Roku. Yeah. Roku, uh, the Roku channel. And uh, these are awesome, awesome deal. uh, Awesome deals right now. You can also get this year's models, which are a little bit better starting at $599. And that is all available at thrifter.com and at thrifter daily on Twitter. I have one of those TVs, Daniel. I bought it last year, the one that had Alexa on it. 
And you just was, ruined everybody's day by saying, "Oh, that I'm, I'm sorry, joking. people." I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But yeah, Listen, can, great. can you hear my TV yelling at me from upstairs? <laughs> Mike on that thing's amazing. I was I was shocked at how good the quality is. For I think I paid four hundred and five dollars for a, a fifty five inch one. It's amazing. Yeah, they're outstanding. All right, so let's move it right along. Um, we're going to talk about two more products: the Galaxy Watch and the Galaxy Home Speaker. Andrew, you got to play with the Galaxy Watch. Tell us how it's different yeah. from the Gear Sport that was announced or released like less than a year ago and whether people should be looking forward to buying this $330 Tizen powered smartwatch. Uh, spoiler, it's not any different than the Gear Sport that Samsung released 10 months ago. Uh, this, the, the Galaxy Watch thing makes a whole lot of sense in just a greater like Samsung ecosystem play. Uh, it looks like the gear brand is slowly uh, riding off into the sunset, which probably makes sense if you look at the whole thing. We're going to talk about the speaker later as well. Samsung is going extra in. Oh, shut up. My phone thinks that I said Bixby. Um, <laughs> that's another thing. It's getting false it, uh, false wakes off of saying Galaxy when it thinks you're saying Bixby, which is kind of weird. Um Anyway, they're isn't bringing hey the Galaxy, Galaxy brand. In, isn't Hey Galaxy like another hot word for Bixby, though? I, I don't know. It might be. See? Anyway, nobody wants So the, what they're doing is they're killing off the, the gear name, it seems. Uh, Galaxy isn't just for Android anymore. We knew this from before. They've kind of played around with that before with some Windows devices and things like that. So this is just a new device for the new year, and they're bringing in the new brand, making a couple little changes and offering the watch in two different sizes. So if you remember back the last two generations, it took so it took two generations to get two different size watches. You had the Gear S3 Frontier and Classic, which were absolutely massive and had every single feature. And then you had the Gear Sport, which was kind of a next generation watch, but they continued to sell the S3 Frontier and Classic. And the Sport was the smaller version with the smaller battery. They've kind of just consolidated the two, and so they have a 42 millimeter and a 46 millimeter. Uh, the only difference between the two is going from 1.2 inch screen, like the Gear Sport, or up to a 1.3 inch screen, which is like the Gear S3. And of course, the battery changes, but it changes quite dramatically. The larger 46 millimeter watch has over double the size of the battery. Of oh wait not quite double, almost double the size of the smaller one. And the smaller one actually got smaller than the gear sports battery. So it, other than that, they made one change, which is the processor. They said they have a, they developed a new processor that is extra efficient and, you know, is kind of, I don't know if they use the phrase custom made, but it's almost custom made for this type of application, which has been a problem for smartwatches. Uh, we got a teaser, of course, from, Qualcomm that they're going to be doing something smartwatch related uh, because all of these smartwatches have been running really old, inefficient processors uh, that kind of kills battery life. Yeah. So this is interesting. There's a big push for health here as most smartwatches have been doing over the last couple of years. Yeah. And the battery life has improved so much. Samsung says that you can now sleep with these watches without needing to charge them overnight. So uh, the company is claiming four days of use even on the smaller 42 millimeter uh, Galaxy Watch, and over and about a week's worth of of use on the larger 46 millimeter one, there's also mm, an yeah. LTE version with the larger one uh, that's going to be interesting because the company also announced that Spotify is its new long term streaming partner for all things Galaxy, including the Galaxy Home, which we'll talk about in a second. But how how do these sort of software changes and the um the minor sort of hardware upgrades make this a more compelling product if at all so i'm i'm moderately skeptical of these battery life claims uh, only because they've always talked a really big game about battery life on the the gear watches up to this point and even with the large gear s3 frontier they already they they had said that that was like a three to four day watch but really, it was a two-day watch if you actually use the thing. 
So if you kept the always on display on, which people like to do because, you know, it's a beautiful big display and their watch faces are really good. Uh, if you keep the automatic workout detection turned on, if you keep all of these, you know, the constant connection to your phone or you keep the automatic Wi-Fi on so that it can pull down uh, data directly, all of these things dramatically cut into that battery life. Yeah. So. I'm I'm lightly pumping the brakes on that. I think that if you use this big watch, which has, I think it's about almost a 500 milliamp hour battery, which is kind of massive for a watch. Uh, you keep that large watch in kind of its default state with a lot of features turned off and you, know, you have to lift your wrist to get the screen to come on and all those kind of things. And you use it kind of more like, like a Fitbit, to your point, it's kind of being, you know, they're focusing on this Samsung health, all of these uh, health tracking things. If you use it like that, then it, it may be a five, six day watch. But I'm just kind of pumping the brakes on that just a little bit. Um, on in terms of how it actually works, the the software experience, I think is still great. Uh, there were some people uh, in the comments that seem to still be down on Tizen as a wearable OS. I question whether they've actually used it because it is really good. It's really well in integrated with the rotating bezel. And I, I, let's be honest, Wear OS is just not good. And it's not feature complete. It's not feature rich like Samsung's experiences, especially when it comes to fitness and health and sleep tracking. Wear OS is not even close. It's nowhere near what Samsung can do. Samsung competes here with fitbit in that regard rather than with more of a generic uh android oh geez android where wear os device and that's where it kind of you can see it's leaning on it's not talking up a big game about a whole bunch of apps or anything like that it's really focused on fitness tracking and sleep tracking and they don't have to change a thing uh they could have just shipped the exact same software uh, in that regard as the previous ones, and it would have been great. I would have had no problem with it, but it does look like they changed kind of just the interface and design of it a little bit, if not the the actual functionality. You have to remember that Tizen is not like Android. Samsung can do whatever they want with Tizen, and they can make that software work with their hardware a whole lot better than they could ever make Wear OS because it's Google-controlled. It's semi-open source, but Google has the final say in, in, in how it's implemented, where Tizen is, you know, that was Intel and Samsung, they, they sort of maintain it, but anybody can do anything they want with it, period. So it's going to be more integrated. Uh, I, I hear a lot about the app gap, and that's because Wear OS depends on you to have apps to do all these things that, you know, Samsung's watches don't need a third party to do. So I, I see both sides, but if, if you want a wearable, I think that Samsung's probably your best bet. You want to get one that works as well as it does without any extras. So I want to I want to hear from you guys based on when you say extras, the overwhelming majority of the people that gave me their their thoughts oh. on the Galaxy Watch was no MST samsung pay payments <sighs> did you guys get i don't understand it MST, at all mst is a dying fail over fail safe of a dying uh technology it is a literally uses it imitates the magnetic stripe in existing card readers the magnetic stripe is insecure and it's dying it's going away yep. the standard is dead. It has been replaced. It was replaced in Canada. It was replaced in Australia and the UK and basically every other country in the world except for America years ago. And to and eliminate even MST, we're pretty darn close. Yeah, and, and to eliminate MST, it is putting users first by making uh, d digital payments safer, in-store payments safer, and that is it. I'm more concerned about the phone still uses MST. Uh, there, it does, yeah. Several years ago, uh, I, I don't know if it was authorized, if you worked with Samsung. If you remember a Israeli security research company, they found a lot of bugs and security errors that were pretty severe, and some of those surrounded MST and, and how Tizen implemented it. So maybe it's a good thing that it's not there. I mean, there's all kind of stuff that could happen. 
Samsung's making sure that it can't. It's just not surprising. It's just not surprising to me that they re- removed this. It's dedicated hardware in a really small package. When you're talking, especially about the 42 millimeter watch, which is really light, really small, and they're not. They're just not going to. It was already not in the Gear Sport, so we should have kind of right. seen this writing on the wall that they weren't going to continue to do this. The NFC version is still there. Uh, so if you do want to do the whole like go on a run and on your way back, you stop at the convenience store. Like those types of places have NFC. Oh, I live in the middle of the woods and I can use Google Pay or what's well, now Android Pay, whatever it is now, or, or Pay. Apple Pay or any type of NFC payment, even here where I live. So you can use yeah. it too. It, exactly. I, I don't get that complaint. And maybe that kind of points to uh, this this move. Like Samsung doesn't need to be bothered by that those arguments like they they're way beyond that when they're talking well, about something as general as a smartwatch they they need <laughs> to be their folk the things they talked about on stage is what they're actually focused on they're focused on giving you super long battery life and uh health health conscious tracking. samsung will be happy to listen to your complaints and they'll be very polite but you need to know they don't care about them in this Correct. regard that they they know what the future is going to hold a lot more than we do all right, so let's move on to the final product that was announced yesterday. Um, I, I, we don't know a lot about this one. This is the Galaxy Home speaker. It's going to be powered by Bixby. Andrew, you saw the the, the prototype hardware. Um, Utterly amazing. <laughs> but it doesn't – we don't know a lot about the internals. We don't know the, the speakers themselves. All we know is that you know Samsung's got really decent hardware chops. They know how to make great headphones – great speakers um and there's no reason to think this won't sound great but i think the biggest question right now is is bixby up for the challenge yeah i'm really glad that they didn't call it bixby something i think that that was really smart again they're going with this galaxy brand for everything even though it doesn't matter you know this that this isn't an android device or whatever they did this really weird gimmick where they did this introduction to show off, you know, all of these fancy product shots of, you know, small portions of the Galaxy Home. And then they were like, oh, by the way, everything you just heard was 160 Galaxy Homes in this arena. <laughs> and you're like, well, what a, what was I supposed to derive from that? Like, okay, if I were to buy 160 of these things, I could fill an arena with sound. It's You could do the exact same thing with like 160 Google Home Maxes, and you would not have any idea what the difference was. And that means uh, nothing. It means absolutely nothing. <laughs> so it was kind of this weird non sequitur that they just trotted out. Like, yes, we've made 160 of these things. But I think that it's really cool that Samsung... D- they clearly tried to design this thing to look different. They didn't try. I mean, it's got this kind of a Scandinavian kind of style design is the only way I could think about these little peg, three peg legs that come out of the bottom and it's curved and has fabric on it uh, as kind of the modern uh, aesthetic, you know, points these types of things to. But I like that they went with something interesting. They could, you know, Samsung could have gone bare minimum, make it look exactly like the Bluetooth speaker that they already sell on samsung.com for $99 or make it look super generic, make it look like a knockoff of a Sonos or a Bose uh, SoundLink or you know whatever. And they, they came out and tried to do something cool with it and they told the same story that Apple and Google are saying about, yep. uh, that are telling about theirs with, you know, recognizing the room and making automatic adjustments and having all of this cool technology inside that makes it more than just a speaker. Uh, I I think that it's a very good idea that they're doing that kind of stuff because, you know, if Bixby is the only thing that's interesting about it, uh, it doesn't have a leg to stand on. So that's why I think that it's important that they went all the way to the high end, kind of like Apple did, where... Siri is not the core part of what the HomePod is. Siri is just the kind of control interface for the HomePod. The The story about the HomePod is the quality of the sound and all that kind of stuff. All right. So what is the, what, what, what price do you think this will be introduced at? Because 
The HomePod is three forty nine. The Google Home Max is three ninety nine. Uh, the Sonos Play Five is four forty nine. It is there's something about this price range that mm-hmm. people are well, maybe not people, but the companies expect that people will be willing to pay a premium for. At the same time, Samsung does not have the authority in this space to demand the same price as a Google Home Max, maybe. Um, so what do you think will be, in, where do you think it'll be introduced? I don't think that it's a competitor with the Google Home Max just in terms of size. And I, I mean, I think the Home Max is legitimately like a huge speaker. I think this is more like the HomePod, but like you said, it can't demand that price in terms of uh, brand and history and, and all that all that stuff. I would not be surprised by two ninety nine. That's what I was going to say. Yep. This is not it Google overcharges because when I think of something that sounds good, I don't think of a speaker made from Google. Apple, no. for some reason, I think of quality audio and Sonos. So I'll pay four hundred bucks. But- so here's, um, I mean, I'll I'll just say this outright because I've said it before, and uh, many people may not believe me, but the HomePod sounds better than the Google Home Max by a by a dun, dun, lot. Dun. Um, it does. I have both of them in my in my living room. Um, Google Home Max puts out much more bass because it's a larger. It has a larger enclosure. It has a more powerful amplifier, but it is not clean bass it is it is loud bass it is it is vibration rather than accurate bass so um i i always prefer more uh under um you know more subtle accurate bass and it's not like the home pod can't rattle your shelves it can uh, it's just more even and the, um, and the Galaxy Home feels more like a HomePod competitor in that respect. When you look at the size and the capabilities and the design, right? Anyway, it's not a shake your shake your house down kind of big speaker. I wouldn't so. be surprised if um, if if the if the Galaxy Home is introduced at around three fifty, because at more than that, I don't think they can really they they don't have three legs to stand on after that price. So. Man, I'm just, I'm just, well, I'm just killing that I'm just killing with a design. <laughs> my thing is with a design like that, uh, I agree. They can try to go higher. That's why I said two ninety nine because it seems like they could put all this technology in a standard rectangle and it would probably be one fifty or 200 if they didn't want to make a ton of money on it. So by doing this design, they're, they're trying to make it a little higher end. You can easily see like photos of this thing. It would stand right alongside all of you know somebody's very fancy um you know mid-century modern furniture or something in their loft apartment i'm gonna come right out and say it i think it's beautiful i think it's the the best looking smart speaker i've ever seen uh besides that you know i it's it's a carrier for bixby too i you know i think it's a premium product and they probably can't sell it for less than 250 three hundred dollars without losing money how much money are they willing to give away to get people more ingrained with bixby is is my question yeah i i i'm excited to see it and i'm i'm excited to hear it and i also have great great skepticism about how much bixby can do i i agree with (laughs) you but they gotta try it and i'm i i'm a spotify user so heavy integration is actually in in a lot of people's best interests here um, because, you know, Google is, is platform um, agnostic in many ways, right? It, the, the, the home, the Google home max is not a better or the Google home is not a better speaker for YouTube music or play music than it is for Spotify. It all works basically the same. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Spotify's integration, more specific integration can can, I think, make it a bit more appealing to Spotify users in general. So we're going to leave it there because Andrew has to go wrestle with some bears. (laughs) Or (laughs) Or rattlesnakes. rattlesnakes. (laughs) Sorry, rattlesnakes. (laughs) 
and um, and we have to go, and I have to go to IKEA. So this my day is a lot less exciting. Oh, than, so than you'll you're see, see a lot of the design. That, yeah, <laughs> you'll see chairs that look just like this Bixby speaker. Yeah, it's With weird. With three legs. Um, so, Jerry, Andrew, uh, leave us with a with a parting thought of the Galaxy Note Nine event. Uh, what's what's your final take? You first, Jerry. Oh God, thanks. Now people are going to hate me first. It's not enough. I, I you know what? If I had a Note Eight, I would go out and buy one of those fifteen dollar Bluetooth shutter buttons and see if I can't squeeze the software onto my Note 8 and do the same thing that the new S Pen can do. I like the battery, but it's it's kind of hard to make it phones be different nowadays, but I kind of get the feeling that Samsung didn't try hard enough this time. Well, we'll see next year. Andrew? I think that they they did everything that they needed to do with this, with this whole launch. I, the the watches and the the phone are the perfect example of doing just enough to still be super competitive, if not leading the way in their respective markets. And the super nerds are going to be upset by that, but their bottom line is not going to be upset by that. Yeah. What, what's really interesting to me is that after relatively disappointing sales of the Galaxy S9 series, will the price bump of the Note 9 offset some of those losses next quarter? Will, uh, you know, obviously the Note doesn't sell in volume, but it its extra price may make up an average sales price. Um, and is this the new normal? Will we see a $1,000 S10 in February when it's announced, right? Um for me, that's that's I think the most interesting part. We're now at that precipice of a thousand dollars. How much higher can we go for the base model of various phones? So we will have to wait and see. Andrew, Jerry, thank you so much. Well, thank you, thank you, Daniel. Thanks, guys. And and if you're listening out there, thank you. And remember your homework. <laughs> we want to hear from you. Oh crap! As always, I forgot what it was. Tweet. It's okay. Listen to us. L- listen to the show. You'll you'll hear it. Um, and yeah, we uh, we hope you have a great weekend and uh, have a in- in- enjoy whatever you're doing. Enjoy it. Bye bye. Adios. Bye.